Hello to all our listeners and welcome to this first edition of Coffee and Conversation, Workplace Wisdom Unleashed. The 2020 Parallax Partnerships podcast that we intend to run as a series of conversations entertaining experienced senior business leaders and influencers in the leadership sphere over a cup of coffee and a bicky and a chat. Each conversation will have a particular theme that hopefully will be illustrated by our guests tapping into and sharing their stories, leadership experiences, successes and failures from which they have learnt some of their leadership lessons. This month's theme relates to authentic leadership. What happens when you tap into supporting and honouring your true beliefs and purpose? How can you apply your values? Be true to yourself while building engagement with your organisation. So thanks for joining us today and we hope you enjoy the lessons and life stories you hear, not only in this podcast but over the coming year. And we look forward to hearing from you if you have any of your own stories that you would like to share. So, without further ado, let's hear our first conversation. When I met up with Peter Ballard for a coffee and a chat, Peter has held a number of positions as Managing Director in the pharmaceutical industry and is currently the head of Zyramed UK and about to start a second year as Chairman of the British Generic Manufacturers Association. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. So, uh, Peter... Welcome. It's good Hi. to see you. Yeah, good to be back. Um, it is a great pleasure, I have to say, actually, to welcome you here for this uh, inaugural coffee and a chat. And uh, you're currently head of Zyramed UK, but we've known each other for mm-hmm. quite a long time. Um, previously, years. you were a managing director of uh, uh, Genus Pharmaceuticals, part Correct. of the Starter Group. Um, and also, uh, previous incarnations include head of uh, UK and Ireland for Accord Pharma. Correct. Yes. So you've experienced in a number of pharmaceutical companies yeah. and senior. And Excel and, and a year of a charity as well. Um, I was in a senior role there. Indeed. Which was very enlightening. And, and I believe now currently you're just about to start your second term as uh, yes, chairman right. of the, the British Generic Manufacturers Association, BGMA, is that right? That's correct, yeah. Fantastic. So you've got some experience across industry, it's fair to say, in the healthcare pharmaceutical industry mm. and I'm sure in all those um, different companies you experience all sorts of different leadership challenges and have some interesting stories oh, to share. Yes. I'm sure we'll come up with some <laughs> over the course of our coffee and chat. That'd be lovely and one of the things that I, I say I've known you for quite a while and one of the interesting things I've always known about you is that you have a very interesting relationship with the the phrase or title human resources mm. director. So I, I loathe and detest that um, Yes, HR, oh, or HR, sometimes you hear it. Oh, it, no, it, it really bothers me, it offends me, it uh, bruises my soul to hear humans regarded as resources. I mean, resources are pens, pads, stuff that you use and that are consumed and thrown away when you finish with them. And that does not apply and never should or will apply to humans. <clears throat> I've always felt very, very, very strongly, I mean, rabidly strongly, that um, you don't have a company unless you have people and people that want to be there. Um, if people are just showing up for the money, then go and do something else. Go and find something that you that inspires you, that enriches your life in some way to do for money. We all have to work, obviously, um, but if, unless it means something to you, it, it's you're wasting your time. Um, and... The only way a company can survive is having people to do the work. You, know, you can have the world's best invention, the latest iPhone. 
no one would buy it if it wasn't for the people that told you about it, that used it, that were fans of it, that manufactured it, that designed it. Yeah. The, the humans involved at every stage. I can't imagine a world where everything's just seamlessly done by machines. So humans are essential to the process. And unless they kind of want to be there and do it and show up for work and make it the best phone, the best product, the best whatever... Uh, but that's what they do do. If people are passionate about what it is they're doing, then they do put more of themselves in. And, you know, as a business strategy, you get more from them, not not in a kind of cynical, malicious way, but you want them to be inspired. Um, you know, you want people that will <clears throat> want to innovate, want to have ideas, want to spot things that can be done better rather than just mindlessly, soullessly going through the motions, desperately looking at the clock until they can go home and escape. Yeah. Why, why would why would you want to, you know, create an environment for your staff where people are bored and miserable? No. So, but how does this impact the leadership style, if you like, that you have applied? And have you got examples where you notice that this sort of people-focused approach has made a difference? Um, well, yeah. I mean, to go, sort of start at the beginning, I suppose. I mean, I, I was very fortunate to go to a very good school where we were. Um, kind of educated to believe that you you, know, you are gentlemen, you are privileged to be at this school. Yeah. You may have got a place on the 11 plus, but nevertheless there were other boys that would have done tremendously well with this opportunity, so don't waste it. Um, a lot of military kind of training within that, and okay. I was lucky to go to the University of London and do a couple of years in the officers' training corps. Oh, and there again, you know, you are, you could be full-time officers in the British Army. That means something. You shall behave as officers. And so that was kind of bred into me. Um, and treating people with respect. And if you're going to be an officer in the British Army, you will never expect your men to do anything you wouldn't be prepared to do yourself. If you're expecting them to go over the top to death or glory, you will be at the front of them. And so in business, I suppose that translated into a don't expect people to do things you wouldn't be prepared to do yourself, like cleaning up. And there are times when there were leaves blown into the lobby of the reception area and I picked them up and it's like, oh, you're the managing director, you can't do that. Well, I can because I think it looks tatty and I wouldn't want a customer to come in and see it like that. And I'm no better than anyone else, so I'll pick them up. I'm not going to click my fingers and say, uh, you girl, pick, pick theirs up. Boy, boy, over here. I mean, come on. Yeah. We're all, you know, and when the toilets were a mess, I'd clean them too. I don't have a problem with that. We did a, a conference. Um, it's kind of a, a pharmaceutical industry thing to do foreign conferences. Mm. And it's quite difficult to attract good reps because they've been at big companies that do very, very flash conferences. Now, I have a bit of a problem with that because wasting money yeah. when you're a pharmaceutical company, you know, every penny that you earn has come from the NHS at some point. And the NHS could choose to spend it on other things. Yeah. So let's not forget, we have to give value for money and we're not going to be seen to be wasting frivolously going to flash conference centres or whatever. So my rule was always, if we're going to go abroad for a conference, the total cost of the package has got to be less than the equivalent at the Coventry Hilton. Okay. So that was the benchmark. So however many reps, however many room nights, whatever the cost would be, plus an allowance for food, that's what it would cost at the Coventry Hilton. That's what we can. That's the budget for 
flights, etc. Um, yeah, so, you know, cheap cheap flights and cheap hotels, but we went to some very interesting places, you know, Iceland. We went in February. Why is it cheap in Iceland in February? Because it's dark all day. Okay. <laughs> you know, from, from 2 in the afternoon till about 4.30, it's almost light enough to see outside. Right. But hey, it was cheap and we got to see a bit of Iceland. Yeah. Um, and we did one to the Gambia. Um, and uh, part of the deal with going to the Gambia was that we were going to refurbish one of the hospitals over there. In fact, oh, we right. did two. We did a maternity clinic as well. And um, there was an awful lot of moaning when the reps found out they were going to the Gambia to, albeit a seaside resort. Um, uh, and uh, it, it was one of the best hotels in the Gambia, but it was still cockroachy. Right. Um, but uh, the buzz everyone got out of doing a couple of days of painting and hanging curtains, and I refurbished a toilet. Right. One of the most unpleasant things I will ever do in my yeah. professional life, because it was caked. Right. Apologies to your listeners, but it was <laughs> needed a chisel to begin with. Right. But I scraped it off, I polished it up, I refitted a new seat, cleaned all round, uh, painted the walls, and it was a toilet that any of us would be happy to use right. by the time I'd finished. And that got me a huge number of brownie points from a lot of our staff, because it's like, you know, that's the MD in there, scraping mm. that. Yes. Um, but, yeah, don't expect anyone to do anything you wouldn't do yourself. Treat no. people as you would want to be treated. But there's something Again, else, isn't there, in that whole thing, because there was a, a, a very strong altruistic, um, motivation to actually doing something there for the people in that country absolutely. as much as else. Oh, I mean, crikey, we forget all the time just how amazingly lucky we are. I mean, so lucky to be born yeah. you know, where we were and to the parents we were born to. and The lives we have are just so lucky. I mean, I can't remember a day's real hunger in all my life, mm. for goodness sake. And And there are still huge parts of the world that are tremendously... Uh, impoverished uh, going back to the Gambia it, it will be the best thing I ever did in my entire career was to buy an iron gate 400 quid it cost us for an iron gate that we fitted across the maternity clinic um, in Fajikunda I think it was um, and that kept the goats out and I kind of well up thinking about this but they had a horrific problem with maternal mortality because they couldn't keep the goats out of this little compound around the maternity hospital. So quite often a lady would be having a baby up there on the delivery table. Right. And the goats would wander in and, and do what goats do with their dirty feet and dirty bottoms. And so, you know, something like a 50% mortality rate. Wow. And simply by hanging a 400 quid gate, just because we could, because we had the money to do it and they just never did, bless them, any money they had went on patient care. Mm. We were able to keep the goats out, and the mortality rate dropped to something like eight percent in the wow. following twelve months, just by hanging a frigging metal gate. That's amazing. Which me and a couple of others painted blue. <laughs> Bobby, if you're out there, your painting was crap. <laughs> <laughs> Runs all over it. But yeah, I mean, you know, standing out there for a day in blazing sun, it was about thirty-five degrees, painting the fence and the gate. Um, I've still got the shorts with the blue paint on. And I remember that incredibly warmly. And the buzz the whole sales team got. And they would go and talk to doctors about our medicines and say, you know, please prescribe this because we're a company that actually puts his money where its mouth is. We do give a monkeys about. 
sick people. Yeah. This is what we did. And so, it, you know, it was fun. It was um, exhausting. But the beer around the pool when we got to it in the evening and yeah. the, the crack that night was amazing. And everyone, I hope, has got memories that they kind of be proud of yeah. from doing it. And the whole company got a buzz from it because even the ones back at base who would traditionally be sort of seething that they weren't going on a jolly to Iceland. But it's always the sales team. Yeah. But, you know, actually they realised on that one that we everyone sweated and um, something really worthwhile came out of it. It's interesting, isn't it? Because um, uh, you remind me that, uh, you know, in certain conversations that I've experienced with different leaders, you know, when you get to a place of motivating people from inside, <clears throat> from something that really moves them, it's much more powerful, much more lasting than sort of the stick or the carrot. Yeah. Something that motivates people from their own individual seems to be much more powerful. Mm. Yeah, I think I was perhaps slightly differently wired from a lot of reps. So when I was growing up through the sales team, the, the dangling the carrot, you know, the, the this quarter's target and you can win an extra whatever, didn't particularly inspire me. Yeah. Um, the cash did, because obviously I had a young family, so that was important. But I knew I was going to hit my targets and get my bonus anyway. The extra 500 quid or whatever, yeah, it's nice to have, but you know, the, the you can win a Ferrari for a weekend. It's like, no, just give me the cash, mm. and, you know, because my family needs it. I'm, you know, I've got three credit cards and I'm bouncing <laughs> between them when it's interest free, you know, just yeah. you know, and the mortgage is, is crippling. Um, you know, and it's, I suppose, when you get to a really senior position and you're on a good salary, it's remembering what it was like when you were at that level and money is tight and and you're looking for things that you can do to earn a bit of extra so give you why wouldn't you give your staff the same opportunities and if someone comes up with a really great idea reward them for it and ask them what they'd like rather than you know well this month's prize is a ferrari for a weekend because the sales director knows the guy at ferrari (laughs) and he's had himself a week of this car and you get it for the weekend well great you know um i suppose it's it comes down really to knowing, actually really knowing and caring about your staff and mm. know them all. Know what their husbands do and their wives do and what their kids are called and actually really take an interest. Not just a sort of, you know, no, oh, hello, how are you? Yes. Worthless peons. Yes. Now I will waft past you to my enormous office. Yes. Um, it's actually really be there in the trenches and really know them and know what they want. What does that do to the workplace um, in terms of enjoyment? Well, I think, and uh, I always have to be careful, I always stop myself saying much on this subject because I'm also aware that you get a very, very distorted view because you can't walk into any office without people clocking that it's the MD and then everything changes Mm. and you don't really hear what people really think. You get the, the sort of varnished version but I, I mean, I do like to think that it was a, by and large, a very happy place, and people did get that senior management really gave a monkeys. Um, I, I certainly noticed a change the more we grew. When it was a company of twenty odd people, and you really could know everybody, and you had time to sit down and find out that so and so's daughter was ill, and and you know, and we'd send flowers, or yeah. you know, and you'd be close to it. When we got up to 150 staff, I, I kind of couldn't know everybody. And for me, I realised that was 
the point at which it's time to move on or you know do something different. Um, uh, I think you know it it is difficult, but that's why you have layers of management, and so you know their team leader would be someone or should be someone that knows their team really really well mm. and commands their respect. Well, not commands it, but has earned their respect. Mm. And so, you know, you maintain that relationship. It's really, really important. Did that influence the way that you took people on? Yeah, we, I mean, we tried very hard to... Uh, it took us a while to realise that we needed to try very hard to actually understand why people wanted the job um, and, uh, you know, to actually get to know them more deeply before they signed on. Um, so our recruitment process went up, but then our staff turnover went down. And of course, you know, recruitment costs and yeah. all the other savings and loyalty and productivity. There's so many benefits that you get from that, taking the extra time. Um, Do you have a favourite story from that time? Ooh, ooh, what, in terms of recruiting? No, or? just in, in general, you know. When you're working in healthcare, there's a, um, a real obvious benefit to delivering the product that you're doing. And you in that area worked um, visibly with patients who you can materially change mm. uh, very, in very, very short order with Parkinson's, where you help them really, really rather rapidly, certain parts of, parts of the business and stuff. So a lot of that you could visually see very rewarding success, which gave more purpose effectively to what you were doing. But I just wondered if there were some interesting yeah, stories I mean, or ways that... Yeah, there's a few things that, that do come to mind. I mean, <clears throat> Mrs. Rote um, comes to mind... Um, Mrs. Rote, I never met her, no idea who, God bless her, Mrs. Rote was, but um, one day we got a card, you know, it was one of those flowery cards from an old person with the spidery handwriting, signed Mrs. Rote. Um, don't even know her first name, bless her, but she'd written to say thank you for the medicines that we made. Dear Genus Pharmaceuticals, thank you so much for the tablets that you make. Um, I feel so much better now I'm on them and the doctors may make sure I'll get yours every month, and thank you so much. And we put this in the coffee room, and um, I think there was a return address on the back of the envelope. So I wrote back to Mrs. Rope to say, thank you for saying thank you, because you can't believe how, you know, what it means to us to re- actually, you know, realise that we've done something worthwhile for someone, that it's appreciated. Um, and we used to get a card from her kind of every six months or so. She'd send us another little card, and we sent her some flowers, and... Um, bless her, dear Mrs. Rote. I mean, patient confidentiality, we couldn't do any more than that, no. than just to acknowledge. But, I mean, that everyone in the company, because I used to talk about it when we had kind of quarterly catch-ups with the whole company, and let them know, you know, that we were on track and, you know, whether we needed a bit more effort in certain area or whatever. Um, I used to talk about Mrs. Rote and showing the cards, and the cards would be up on the walls in the coffee room, and everyone knew of Mrs. Rote, and I think everyone wanted to give of their best for the sake of Mrs. Roach. She was our icon for going the extra <laughs> Excellent. mile. Excellent. Um, in terms of sort of staff, I mean, when I started with the company, I started as a rep, you know, lowest of the low in 99, from outside the industry. And um, it was kind of a gamble for the guy that took me on, dear Stephen Head. If you're listening, Steve, thank you very much. Um, because he probably should have taken an experienced rep, someone that really knew what he was doing. And he was a slightly older guy with um, newly born twins 
who never had a job in the pharmaceutical industry but could clearly sell. I mean, I'd got a good CV of selling stuff. Mm. Um, and he took a bit of a risk. I, I think I kind of gave him the sort of, look, I'll tell you what, Steve, I'll need this job because <laughs> we just had twins. And, uh, you know, I kind of... Mm. So I will work my trousers off. Uh, just give me the chance. If I don't hit any sales target you set me in my first month, I'll tell you what, you don't have to pay me. I'll walk away. All sins forgiven. You can contact the other guy that you've just interviewed. I'm sure he'll still be around and he'll sign on straight away. Hmm. And he kind of liked that as a as a close <laughs> and um, gave me a chance. I think I had a sales target of 9,000 and I did 15 in my first month. So I was like, <laughs> yes, you're in. Excellent. And I could breathe again. <laughs> it was the... Um, squeakiest bum month I've ever had working but there we go I mean you know I was not going to miss that one and uh, nailed it and here we are Um, but Dawn was at the company then she was one of the founder members she'd been um, I think she'd been in customer services for one of the big blue chip pharma companies Um, and um, she always struck me as an incredibly hard worker much brighter than she gave herself credit for was very self-deprecating and very in the way a lot of women are they don't believe that they deserve they've kind of been told their place and they're going to stay in it because no one's ever really given them a chance but all I saw was an incredibly talented you know far better than the job she was in and she was she was in a reasonably senior position Um, but she was it was obvious to me she was a real linchpin to the company um, so, you know, wind forward a few years and I've gone up through the ranks and she's largely stayed where she, I think in the same job title, but, um, some years have passed and some idiot gives me the job of managing director. <laughs> Who knew? Um, and, um, and I got to see what she was earning and I was, I was horrified. I was disgusted because she'd started on a low base and she'd got sort of, you know, 3% a year or 5% mm. or whatever, and she was still on very low money for the job she was doing and the contribution she was making. And I, there again, you know, one of the high spots of my career, I got to say at her annual review, so what sort of a pay rise do you think you should have? Well, you know, obviously 5% is kind of the norm, but, uh, you know, maybe a bit more than that. Well, you know, I, I think you deserve more than that, and... You know, what would you say if I gave you 10%? She was almost in tears at that point. I said, but I'm I'm not going to give you 10%. I mean, (laughs) looking back, it was a bit cruel. Um, But uh, I think you should have more than that. And her eyes really did fill with tears. And I think it was about 42% or something I gave her. Right. You know, low to a reasonable salary. And it still wasn't kind of a breaking the bank amount of money. But it was where she should have been in that sort of role. And she blubbed, and I blubbed. But it's like, Dawn, you know, you, you're worth it. And mm. she carried on with the company. She worked even harder after that. And she was an absolute superstar. I mean, she really was. She made a huge contribution to the senior management team in that mm. company. Um, and we'd have been lost without her, and replacing her would have been a nightmare, wouldn't mm. it? I mean, she yeah, was totally. so good. But it just um, reminds me again, uh, fairly obviously, of the fact that you know, if you do recognise and you see something, uh, a problem in the business, you can do something about it yeah. if you choose to. Nowadays, we're sort of hopefully a bit more enlightened in that regard of diversity yeah. and, and matching well, just, salaries I mean, and stuff, actually, but it still goes, unfortunately, it does still go on. I, don't, I just don't get it at all. I mean, 
It's not men, women, boys, girls. Mm. Come on, guys, there is a job to be done. I really couldn't give a monkey's whether you're gay, straight. What? Seriously, who's the best person for doing it? Yeah. If it's going to make us money, let's share it out fairly uh, with everyone that's yeah. involved. I mean, and let's all have a bloody party at the end of it. Mm. Life is too short for us to be screwing each other over or, you know, sending hate messages on email or whatever. Or, mm. Oh, for goodness sake, well, come on. Come on, humanity. Yes, well, <clears throat> oh. and there is, there's definitely a great escape. And happily, I think people are coming around much more to this way of thinking. The beauty is that you can do something about it. There is a way forward. But you just have to have the will, it seems mm. to me. And that was obviously one of the... Um, overriding memories I've had of places where you've been involved is that people really want to be there, they enjoy being there, um, and they do feel very fairly treated, mm. um, which is um, uh, which is really important, I think. <laughs> Probably shouldn't say that. There was a, a time where it was when we were bought by I can't remember which one. I probably shouldn't name them anyway. Yeah. But we were we were acquired, and I was sales and marketing director, I think, at the time, um, and. Uh, and the senior management team, we got a retention bonus of, I think it was, it might have been three months' salary, for staying with the business when it was acquired by someone else. But it was only the senior management team that got that. Uh, we said, I said in a management meeting, uh, surely all the staff, because, I mean, like, it depends on all of us. Yes. And it's probably more important that the lower ranks stay, because they're the ones that actually do stuff. We've, we've been doing due diligence and yeah. answering stupid questions for the last couple of months. I mean, seriously, everyone should get a retention bonus. No, 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 it's just senior management. And uh, and as managing director, of course, I get six months. That was not me, that was the guy that was there yeah. at the time. That just really hacked me off. So when I got mine, I split it with everyone else. So we all had a slice. Um, unfortunately, you know, the, I think we had about 30, 35 staff then. Right. So everybody got, you know, a few hundred quid. Yeah. And everyone really appreciated it. Um, but, I mean, seriously, come yeah. on. I mean... Again, you remind me that it's interesting because we... A lot of people have good intentions with regard to these things, but if the system behind the system is holding it back, i.e. only a part of it, then you, you create this clique, don't you, this us and them yeah, well, Peace, I mean, and it doesn't help. It really doesn't help. It really doesn't help. Yeah. We, we're all on the same side. You know, we want the customer to be um, overjoyed. Otherwise, they ain't going to buy it again. Okay. Um, even if it's a product they're only ever going to buy once in a lifetime. You want them to tell others that it was really good? <laughs> yeah. Because maybe then someone else is going to buy it. Yeah, so absolutely. make it as best you can. For goodness sake, it's much more fun, much more re- rewarding. Yeah to know that, you know, you cared about it and that you did it to the best of your ability, then you just go, kind of, you know, whatever. Yeah. So um, <sighs> if there was one sort of um, key lesson or key story that you would want to pass on to others with regard to leadership in this area of looking after people and if you're leading, you want to get these people um, motivated or engaged or whatever, you're walking into a new company now and you're taking over a new thing, what are you going to do first? You can't come in, just parachute in over the top of everyone and expect them to respect you on day one. That has to be earned. So, and it takes time. Hmm. Um, and it, you know, and it, you have to really care. Um, I, I sort of fluffed a moment ago because I was wondering just to what extent I can be, I can wax lyrical about the horse whispering. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I think that's one of the most valuable things we did as a as a management team is to do. Um, well, to explain that a bit, because obviously, uh, yeah, yeah um, uh, Chris will. In fact, on the back of this podcast, contact him and ask him about it. The horse whispering um, is a an experiential metaphor um, for leadership, uh, because if you can get a horse to follow you, you can get anyone to follow you and the only way you can get a horse to follow you is by being absolutely true to yourself is by being completely authentic and honest in your intentions if you're just trying to do it out of brute force and ignorance the horse will just stand and look at you if you're trying to do it because you're angry with the horse because the sodding thing won't move it's not going to follow you you have to let everything go and just be absolutely present and it took me a couple of goes at it before I really, really, really got that. It's an experience I would strongly encourage any leader, management team, you know, do this together, um, maybe a couple of times to really, really get it. Because actually showing up as yourself, really, really as yourself, and being completely honest about your motivations and why you're doing stuff and what, what it really means to you, is really important because they can smell bullshit a mile away. <laughs> yeah. So if you're just delivering someone else's lines because we must do 20% growth and you don't believe it's possible, they'll know and you won't do 20% growth because they won't believe that you believe that it's even possible. But if mm. you go, guys, upstairs have said we've got to do 20%, otherwise, you know, we're on the line, our necks are on the block. And I'm not going to let that happen to any of you, and they know you mean it. Mm. They'll all, you know, sweat spinal fluid to make sure it happens, and you'll all be in the trench together, and it'll work. Um, so, I mean, the horse whispering, we did it, well, we did it with the senior leadership team at Genus. We also did it with the, the next level of management in their team groups, and I, I think that. You know, everyone was very, very positive about it. I'm sure there were a few people that thought it was mumbo-jumbo nonsense. But surprisingly, they still talked about it a long time afterwards. Yes, interesting. Um, that. Funny, that, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we did it at Dexel as well. Yeah. And um, one of the guys there, who I won't name, Delwyn, um, <laughs> <laughs> was tremendously sceptical about it. I can't see why I'm spending a bloody day wandering around a field with a bloody horse and what a load of nonsense. But he was an absolute convert. And he still talks about it even now. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, in terms of being authentic, being completely honest and true to yourself, and even helping people to work out what it is about themselves that may have been holding them back, very enlightening from that perspective as well. Because I think it, it takes an incredibly long time to really, really understand who the hell we are and yeah. what our purpose on this planet is. Indeed. What are we really here for? Um, Whatever they say, it takes seven years to make a person, another 40 years to unmake them. <laughs> well, yeah, probably, yeah. Give me the boy and I will show you the man. Mm. Um, yeah, no, it is, I think, really, really important. I mean, I suppose the other sort of key piece of wisdom, and this really is a bit um, California la-la, um, but it's about money. Uh, so for anyone in a senior leadership role, you can do stuff for charity, but if it's only cynically because it looks good and um, so that you can manipulate that or it only, it, it, it's doing it cynically to drive sales of a particular product, mm, it will probably look a bit cynical. 
But if it's just for the sake of doing good stuff, like, you know, Fajik under hospital, mm. we never sold any product in the Gambia. No. We had nothing to gain other than we were going to go to the Gambia for our conference because there was a need there. Um, this was through the, the charity that I subsequently um, did a year for. Um, they had this terrible problem and, you know, the, uh, the goat gate. Mm. Um, and so I said, well, fine, we'll have our conference there. I'll be bringing 70-odd people. And you've got 75 people for a couple of days of hard manual labour. Find them stuff that needs Ding. doing, yeah. whether it's healthcare-related or not. We were going to plant an orchard as well. <laughs> right. But the, the field we were going to plant um, an olive grove or a, no, an apple orchard, I don't know. We'd um, did manage to procure a field that was going to be planted out as an orchard, and we were going to dig the holes and plant the trees. But the, the, the king, the, the president, stole it. Oh, really? Drove past it, took a fancy to this field, and it was his field there. Oh, so we couldn't do that. Um, so that was unfortunate. Yes. But we did a couple of days of hard, I mean, hard labour um, in uh, the, the Royal Victoria Hospital and the Fajikunda Maternity Unit, and it gave everyone such a buzz. We were never, it was never going to be a commercial return on that. Yeah. It was just because it needed doing. You know, the toilet seat needed putting on there. <laughs> And I wouldn't ask anyone else to do it. So I got down on my knees and did it myself. Yeah. Um, not a problem. Let's, yeah. you know, let's do it. And I'm sure, I am quite sure. Look, Jenna's Pharmaceuticals was an incredibly successful business. So in the time I was MD, um, we had double-digit sales growth. And you know, we made a truckload of profit. Something like a 32% uh, EBITDA. Um, on sales growing to 70-odd million from less than 10 you know, we had a great run. And it sure as hell wasn't because I'm smart hmm. or because I'm the world's best leader. It was because we had a bit of luck, we worked hard, we did some smart things, we also did some monumentally dumb things but got away with it. We gave a lot of money to charity, we did a lot of good stuff, outside work. We actually gave the monkeys about what it was we were doing. Hmm. Um and that, there's some sort of intangible benefit you get. Your staff will love you for it. They'll love the company more for it. They'll work harder for it. You'll make more money, and then you've got more to give away, haven't you? Yeah. So do more next year. And every year we gave more away, um, and the business grew and grew and grew. Yeah. And we made a truckload of money for our shareholders. And I'm sure if we'd just been cynically, you know, just... <sighs> holding it in and not giving it away. Mm. It would have stifled the energy and people would have thought, well, yeah, they're making a ton of money, but I was, you know, where's my pay rise? And, mm. and staff turnover goes up and then recruitment. and oh, You're into a world of pain. Yeah. Hang on to your staff because the cost of them leaving and you have to replace them and there's the gap and so-and-so has to do two jobs and then they get exhausted and then they leave. And, oh, for God's sake. No, inspire and motivate people. Train them to do stuff that doesn't benefit the company. I got it in the neck so many times because we had a budget for everyone for training. Somewhere between 500 and 1,000 quid for every member of staff. And they could spend it on training that wasn't related to their job. Why? Because why wouldn't you? If they want to grow and develop and they've actually, they're prepared to commit time to going to night school to learn to be a florist because yeah. they really want to be a florist, great! You can spend your budget going to night school to learn to be a florist. And she left and went to be a florist. But in the three years she was still with us, she worked so hard because mm. she was so excited and really enjoying learning to be a florist. 
but she was one of the best receptionists. I mean, reception, it's a fairly mundane job. Mm. But, you know, she was so good at it. And we really, really missed her. I kind of wish she hadn't gone off to be a florist. Mm. But that's what she wanted to do. Great. Yeah. No problem with that. No. Well, and, and you remind me again that there's um, that if you truly believe authentically, and what's coming across in this conversation is is about the authenticity that you really put into everything that you do. But if you're authentic with people and you're supporting them, then you want them to develop and you want them to go to wherever yeah. will fulfil their life ambition as much as anything else. And if you can be the conduit for that and can continue to represent that for them through the period, fantastic. But if they want to go somewhere else. Wish them well on their way, and um, who sure. knows? They may well come back calmer, if you like. Yeah. But, um, you know, okay, it does have its own reward. Absolutely. And usually it's also the reward that people, as you say, recognise that they're respected, recognise that they're really acknowledged, and they give back in terms of uh, what they contribute to your organisation. So yeah. I think that's, um, that's brilliant, and thank you very much, because I think on that note, I think we'd be able to beat that there's a, a, a nice place to to call a hold i think and say thank you very much peter and uh well, thank you um, it's been uh, a bit of a good of a laugh coffee was excellent thank you sir we hope you enjoyed our conversation and have picked up one or two ideas that can inspire you to bring more of yourself into the leadership space the power of being transparently authentic True to your beliefs and values is critical in helping create and harness a more purpose and values-led workplace where people can be inspired and more fulfilled in their area of work. If you would like to get in touch, share your stories or find out more about leadership, team or organisational development, you can find more information and articles at our blog on our website at www.parallaxuk.com. So, as ever, I leave you with a thought from Maya Angelou, which seems relevant to today's podcast. She said, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Bye for now. Bye for now.